You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Straight. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. Hey, a wonderful sunny afternoon here in Birmingham, and I'm assuming likewise in Tuscaloosa and Anniston because the radar just shows us all sunshine and about 60 degrees. I hope everyone is doing well today. Matt, Lars, Christian, Josh, Joe, and Aiden uh, produce this show for us, so uh, we're ready to rock and roll. Um, it was the third, by I guess the, the numbers that we're now getting in, it was the third most viewed Super Bowl in NFL history. Um, I think the one with the Patriots a few years ago, oddly enough, from the very same stadium, is Top Dog Big Cheese number one. But it was a good Super Bowl. Uh, it, I, I would I would have said great had the ending been a, a little uh, tougher. It was just a soft ending. That's just that's the way it was. However, Lars, I think what we're all all inquiring minds want to know: we may have a reason for the slick feel. Which is halftime. Was it slicker in that in the second half? It was slick in the first half, but it was noticeably slicker in the second half. Yes. Well, they're saying that all the pounding from the all the technic, you know, the pyrotechnics and all that kind of stuff, you know, it kind of melted on the field and uh, made the turf looser. <laughs> you know, if that's the case, why don't they think about that in advance? Yeah, I mean, there's your big question. Do you, are you, let me look at it. Come on, Lars. Just between you and me and several thousand people. Are you buying that? Not necessarily. I think there needs to be a thorough investigation. I do, too, because as you very astutely pointed out, they were slipping in the first half, too. Yes. And the reason they probably slipped more in the second half is because they were continuing to tear up the field. That's Matt's theory. Um, are you buying that one? Perhaps. Okay, okay. But Matt, Matt, you buried the lead. The lead is what? It's Valentine's Day. Oh, did you, do you remember oh, yeah. that? Did yeah. you? Remember? Yeah, I just sent out uh, little cards, you know, to to my daughters. I'm sure. You, I mean, you do. I went to I went to their school this morning. Oh, because it's also reading day at their school, and so it started with Lincoln, brought him a Valentine, and. Uh, we spent about 30 minutes reading different books and excellent and uh, and he's a really good reader for second grader you know he can he can he's knock a it pretty out. bright kid yeah he is uh, and I brought him a couple books that of mine that I've written that he didn't have and and he he wanted me to bring him so he could show the students that his daddy writes books for a living among other things then I went and saw Farah, my six-year-old, um, and she was so happy. She uh, sees me in the door, just comes running, sprinting up to me, gives me a big hug. I gave her a Valentine. She shows me around her classroom, and then my twin, her her twin Autumn, is in the room right across from Farah's, and I. <laughs> walk in the door and autumn sees me and she shoots me the look of death <laughs> i mean i was just like whoa like, what and are then, you doing here and then she said literally not hi daddy 
She didn't come running up to me. She said, what are you doing here? Autumn apparently doesn't like surprises very much. Uh, and uh, it, it, I hope uh, it's just that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because I saw a, a teacher who I hadn't met before uh, who knows Autumn, and she saw me walking down uh, the, uh, the uh, walkway there, the hallway, and, and again, we never met. And she's like, you must be Autumn's dad. Because you look exactly, because Autumn looks exactly like you, and she really is. She's my doppelganger, and uh, but she was not. Uh, I think it, the thing is, she doesn't like surprises. She really doesn't. Like everything needs to be kind of scheduled for her, and so when something is off schedule, it, it takes her aback. As twins, they are kind of op in. They're very they? different. Um, and then uh, Lincoln, as I've watched over the years, he's just kind of grown into all right. Yeah. It's okay. Yep. He's uh, he's oh. a cool cat. I'm probably not going to be real popular with this. You know, I, I did send things to my daughters and to my wife and to my granddaughter. And uh, Karen and I will do something later on. You know how we are when you get older. We'll probably go eat dinner around 430. Probably the only reason I could get a table. But I've just never been a real pump sight guy for Valentine's Day. I know, me neither. But um, I think Hallmark didn't Hallmark create this? Yeah, and along with Whitman's and Russell Stover. Yeah, I mean it's. So what? What did yeah. you get, Karen? I ain't got her anything yet. Shh. <laughs> Be careful, Matt. Um, but Karen's the same way I am. Uh, she's kind of like okay, yeah. To be honest with you. We'll probably get some takeout and sit in front of the tube. Oh, no, actually, it's Tuesday, so we'll go to church. I, I can't think of a better place to go on Valentine's Day. So uh, that's what we'll do. you got to wonder what others are doing and if you'd like to share what you're doing on Valentine's Day or if you'd like to talk about the Super Bowl because there are several other things I want to bring out that you can only bring out, obviously, post-Super Bowl, like the television ratings, like the slippery field. But if you'd like to join us in our many affiliates, you can dial the same number, 205-342-9904. That's 205-342-9904. And did, did you know the NFL, you know how much money they spent on that grass, developing that grass, growing that grass? It was especially it, grown just for this game, yeah, correct? it was 800000 And it was two years in the making. <laughs> and and ESPN, uh, they ran a, about a 750-word feature story in which multiple NFL employees, employees, they were taking premature victory laps before the, the game, just saying how awesome it was. And um, and a business insider interviewed 94-year-old George Toma, who goes by the nickname the Sod Father. Right. Oh, what a great! What yeah. that's clever. Now. So he's been affiliated with every single Super Bowl and making sure that the turf has been good and 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 uh, and that he said that they've been growing this grass, this turf for the past eighteen months, and he said that uh, he declared in the story that it was quote the second best grass the Super Bowl has ever had, and in his book and uh, or he, in his it's his belief that the best was uh, the Bears-Colts game that took place in Miami. Wow. Remember, that was a, there was a rainstorm during that. And uh, he said uh, in, the, in the story that you have to have a good root system. 
and he said, and this field is very tight. And then it didn't also, look like that. Nick, Excuse me. Nick Pappas, the field director for the NFL, he said he talked about this the 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 care that was given to the field, and and his quote before the Super Bowl was, for this one, obviously, we're giving it a little extra extra care. We've got a lot of groundskeepers out here for about a month, putting eyes on it, putting hands on it, working on it all day, every day, getting it ready for game day. All right, so you got all these people taking victory laps before <laughs> before the game starts, and suddenly, even the sod father has grown quiet. The sod father. That's an awesome nickname. And also the the USGA. The USGA was taking credit for this because apparently the science behind the development of this breed of grass, and that's the, that retractable field that rolls out to bake in the desert sunshine, that it was the USGA that developed the science for it. And, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, the USGA put out a tweet just saying, you know, we're, we're so proud to be affiliated with uh, the NFL. Um, but, you know, at least no one suffered a catastrophic, catastrophic injury during the game. Um, and, you know, <laughs> nobody's given this uh, a five-star rating. And Eagles pass rusher uh, Hassan Reddick, after the game, said, I'm not going to lie, it was the worst field I've ever played on. Whoa! Well, and the Eagles tackled funny how Jordan, they're being silent afterwards. Jordan, huh? Jordan, Jordan Milata. He said it was slippery. I'm not a grass expert, but it was slippery. Uh, Kadarius Tony, who had that key punt return, described it as slippy. That's kind of a cool word. Slippy. Slippy, <laughs> slippy the sod father. Yeah. Uh, Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard said the field was tearing up a bit, and he had to change cleats. And, uh, he, you know, uh, Frank, Frank Clark said the field was terrible. Um, I don't know. I mean, you need to go on How and does on. That happen? Yeah. I mean, I'm seriously And, and what Melata said, he said it was just slick. You couldn't anchor your feet. You had to get your whole foot in the ground. If you try and use just your toe, you'd slip right away. For the receivers, it was like a water park out there, and we're playing on freaking grass. <laughs> None of those quotes are directed at just the second half, right? No. They're all that, just no, that's general. For the that's for the yeah, entire no, game. I'm telling you that this is the NFL. So it was Ian Rappaport that reported this. Love Ian. Yeah. Spent time here. But you know who he works for? The NFL. Yeah. Well, his, his spin is not going to be. His spin is that. It's the worst field ever. Yeah. I'll blame him. You know, I bet he has a good gig. I just don't understand why you bring in and grow this special grass that is not indigenous to Phoenix. How can you expect it to root? I mean, to me, that seemed yeah. to be the problem. And, and I've mowed a few grasses in my life. In fact, but, I have a dear friend have, that grows sod farm. And, I ought to call him. And they also, they don't have this issue. The Arizona Cardinals don't have the issue during the season. They overdid it. They overcooked the oh, Super Bowl. They overthought it. Yeah. They and they overspent. Um, and now. How about now we have controversy about Gronk? All right. We'll get to that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. 
best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. The Big Man is bringing you his incredible live show, Trey Sackets. The Way I Want to Go Tour. Showers arrive after midnight, the low 57. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm, the high 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome in and welcome back to Big Noon Sports. We're going to go back to the Super Bowl, but I want to pause here for just a minute and uh, just recognize just recognize the life of Conrad Dobler. I know Christian wasn't old enough to remember him. I know you probably were. Mm-hmm. He was known as the dirtiest player did in a, football. Did a, he, I did a story on him. Uh, uh, we, we, it was on, on the dirtiest players in NFL history. And we did a poll of NFL players, and Conrad was number one. Well, and he even did a Miller Lite commercial that pretty much just indicated it. And this, the spot was called Troublemaker. But he died at the age of 72. Uh, my dear friend Tom Banks, who was an all-pro center on that very same line that protected Jim Hart, uh, I don't know, like, uh, like a bunch of Marines. I think they were. He was only sacked four times the whole year. Can you imagine? Now they ran the football a lot, but they still passed. But um, that is, and in my opinion, very arguably the best offensive line I've ever seen. Uh, Philadelphia didn't didn't play up to my expectation this past Sunday. That's not my point. But it was Dobler and Banks and Bob Young and Deardorff, and I'm going to forget the other guy again. But uh, they were uh, an incredible force. I remember Tom telling me about uh, playing the Cowboys late in the game. I say late. Ten minutes left. They ran the ball 15 straight times and scored to win the game. Now, those are men in the trenches right there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he passed away at the age of 72. He had had some health issues. And God bless him and his family and all the all the people that he touched. Yeah, you know, uh, I know we're talking about a player that a lot of our listeners don't don't well, don't know or aren't aware of, but he really was the enforcer for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. If 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 any guy on the defense was deemed to do something inappropriate, Do- Dobler would be all over that guy, uh, almost like a goon in hockey. Right, like he's yeah, his number I think one it's job. Very simple. <laughs> his number one job. Then, but in 1975, the Cardinals surrendered just eight sacks, and and Dobler was uh, the, the was sort eight. of the key player for for that. And he won. And it, in a Sports Illustrated story, in 1977, he said, "I'll do anything I can to get away with protecting the court, my quarterback," and that included holding, eye gouging, leg whipping. And biting, biting. He bit. He bit a guy's finger uh, in the <laughs> bottom, of, and that was. I think that was the most noted, dirty deed that he did. But I mean, he he almost bit the dang thing off. Was the report at the time? 
So anyway, let let's remember him off the field. He's just total gentleman. Oh, Tom, Tom said he was just a nice guy in Oral. Yeah. So you used to go out and just eat dinner, have big time. And he was, as I understand, very well mannered. No, I, just, I made that up. Step between the lines, though. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of guys like that. I, th- I think uh, our co-host. Christian. I, really, I think Christian, Christian was did, like did that. you become a different person when you step between the lines? Yes, I did. Sorry. Yes, I, I did become a different person between <laughs> okay. the lines. How so? Oh, you just have to flip that switch, like my dad used to say. I mean, you can be a nice guy off the field, but on the field, you know, it's a combat sport. It's a physical sport, uh, aggressive by nature. So uh, you can't be a nice guy on the field. You got to you gotta get after it. You know, you're, you're going to battle. Um, so I'm, I'm not really looking to make friends out there. I mean, I respect my opponent. Sometimes, you know, throughout the course of the game, you know, I end up, you know, you know, talking, uh, you know, amongst other players and whatnot as as the game goes on. But initially, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm – trying to go hit somebody in the mouth because they're trying to do the same thing is is hit or be hit right you know what i mean you can't really be uh nice out there because somebody's trying to take your head off so this is similar to boxing right i mean you can't really be friends with the guy he's, try, he's trying to knock you out so you better knock it not, excuse me knock him out <laughs> first so same kind of approach but after the game you know always you know go shake hands show a lot of respect but uh during it you know i'm in i'm, I'm in my uh combative mode sometimes i'm talking a little trash here and there uh, usually only if somebody gives me a reason to. Normally I let my play do the talking, but here and there I'll, I'll, I'll exchange a few words um, every now and then, let some stuff slide. But, yeah, off the field, I'm a great guy, th- I think. I mean, on the field, you got to flip the switch. I agree. <laughs> yep, I would too. Um, I love watching you play too because you played with emotion. So well, fired up. <laughs> at the, at yeah. the start of the Super Bowl – um, I think I was uh, am- among millions of people just a little confused why Troy Aikman and Joe Buck weren't calling the game. And uh, I should have known this, but I, the people I was with watching the Super Bowl, they were confused by it too because Aikman and Buck have been the mainstays on Fox since they called their first Super Bowl together in 2005. And they really t- they, they took the reins over from the duo of... Pat Summerall and John Madden, Madden. Um, and the and the reasoning why they weren't uh, there, and and that it was Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, and we're going to talk about Greg in a second, uh, is very simple. Buck and Aikman don't work for Fox anymore. <laughs> I forgot about that. They were poached by ESPN prior to the 2022 season to do Monday Night Football. I just had totally forgotten because you, I was well, so used it's to 2023. So. Yeah. I, I, and, I um, but I, uh, Matt, as a broadcaster, how did you think uh, Burkhart and Olsen did calling their first Super Bowl together? Well, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, and, and then maybe when it was first announced that Tom Brady was going to get his $37.5 million a year, I, but somewhere along, I, I really, really. I said, I really like Olsen. He's really good. Romo, I guess, was asked or just did. He toned it down. Uh, they didn't ask Olsen to yet. I think he's great. He did the things like some of the things Olsen did uh, were was uh, much in the way Romo did and, all, and predicting plays and stuff. The NFL didn't like that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why. To me, it made it even more intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the NFL didn't check their grass system correctly either. So, um, 
I thought he did a great job. I was uh, surprised to see Kevin Burkhart there. Uh, he is a, a solid play-by-play guy. Has been for years. Gets a little crazy with a coat, tie, pocket, sport coat. Christian's the dapper one. I don't know <laughs> if anybody noticed that, but uh, it was purple and pink. Did, did, did yeah. y'all even notice that? I'm a broadcaster. I would. Yeah. Did you notice? Yeah, he looked yeah. good. Wow. But as a so as a reward for calling a really good game, Greg Olson, um, he may have to take a seventy percent pay cut because he's currently making ten million dollars a year because he is on the number one broadcast team. But that figure is going to get stat, uh, slashed to three million if he's moved off the number one team. Well, guess what happens when Tom Brady joins Fox next fall? He goes straight to the number one team, yep. so Olsen's salary goes, and, and Olsen presumably is sliding to number t- the number two team, so his salary is going to go from $10 million to $3 million a year. Gee. Mm. I mean, that's not just a drop. That, that's plummeting. Yeah. $7 million. That's just, uh, it's hard to believe that uh, it would drop that far, as good as he is. I mean, you look at it, it's not like he's getting worse. Yeah. So they're basically so, saying, we got to take that $7 million and pay Tom Brady. I so think, I think there'll be some type uh, of negotiation. They have to. Yeah. They have to meet him in the middle because Greg's been phenomenal this whole year. Um, I think what he brings to the table is he's freshly removed from playing. I played with Greg in Carolina, uh, one of the most intelligent guys uh, that I've met, um, especially as a player. He's just so knowledgeable. Um, but listening to him call the games, I, I really enjoy it. You know, he's very eloquent and articulate um, with what he's trying to describe. And mm. I think what he does best is he he's so good at explaining it in a way for people to understand. Even though he has a lot of detail, he's just so knowledgeable where he can break down coverages and tendencies and formations and personnel. Because, again, he's a, he's a very intelligent guy and he's freshly removed. But he does it in a way where viewers can understand. It's not the complex um, description that he he might uh, you know typically be used to talking in that manner in a, in, a, in a meeting amongst other players. He does a great job of defining it for the viewers. So I, I hope that they work something out with him because if I was him, um, I would have a huge issue with that. Especially you know Tom hasn't you know done this yet, unless I'm mistaken. But I don't I don't think Tom's done this before. Uh, so to just put him right there and insert him in that number one spot, I know he's Tom Brady, but. I feel like Greg has kind of earned that. So maybe they could start out initially by alternating the two between the number one team and the number two team. That could cause an issue because maybe they like to stick with the same guys uh, to form that chemistry. Um, but if I was Greg, even if they do move him to the number two team, I would negotiate um, to still receive maybe not 10, but maybe seven, right, instead of three. I just feel like he's worth that. And if not, maybe he can look elsewhere and join another broadcast. I don't know how that works. Maybe there's not other broadcasts. I don't. I don't really <laughs> know the specifics. But if I was him, I would have a huge issue with going from ten to three, and just letting them take Tom Brady and put yeah. him right there without even calling a game yet. I I agree. And also, you go from calling the best game, say Philly at Dallas at four fifteen, mm-hmm. to calling uh or four fifteen Eastern, three fifteen our time, to calling uh, a noon game between Denver and the and the and the Houston, Houston. Texas <laughs> Houston Texas. That that may be right. the biggest demotion <laughs> of all. Yeah. Um, but obviously, if they do this and they reduce his pay, they're they're breaking a contract of some type, and I would think he'd immediately become a free agent. 
and one of the other networks could pick him up. You know, he may end up at Amazon. Who knows? We got a break here because we got Mike Rodak from AL.com coming on. We'll talk a little bit of, well, we'll talk about the Super Bowl. We will talk uh, about the upcoming tomorrow night's game with Alabama and Tennessee because he does a lot of basketball work as well. Um, he does work all over the globe. Let's just put it that way. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Dell Technologies President's Day event is here with deals to power all your passions. The savings start now on select, sleek XPS laptops and more powered by... Mike Rodak from AL.com is joining us here on Big Noon Sports. Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. And you need to read him early and often in his pieces on AL.com. Most recent I've read, and knowing how many articles he writes, Kyle, uh, he may have written one since, but it was about Alabama being ranked number one. Uh, Mike, when you first saw this pass, we all knew they were going to be good. Did you think they were going to be this good? Number one probably wasn't what I was expecting. I, you know, I think they could have been a top ten team if you had asked me in you know August or September. And I think we all knew Brandon Miller was going to be good. I think he's probably been better than some people have expected. Um, I think Noah Clowney has really exceeded expectations. I think obviously Ryland Griffin lately, uh, Mark Sears has probably exceeded expectations. So they've had a lot of guys do better than I, I would have said, you know, four or five, six months ago. And the combination of that, I think, has pushed them a little bit higher. Plus, you know, college basketball this year has just been a little bit weird. Um, you know, when you're following it nationally, <clears throat> there hasn't really been a dominant team. Uh, there's been a lot of number one teams that have lost. I mean, this, the Purdue losing to Northwestern was the, the seventh time this year that the number one team's lost. Uh, so, you know, there's, I think, an opportunity just because of that to kind of climb all the way up to the top. It's not like you have an undefeated Gonzaga team in front of you that you have to beat or you know, historically a Duke or North Carolina or Kansas uh, that's kind of sitting sitting in your way. So, um, you know, Alabama's been able to kind of withstand, you know, a couple losses and some bad games, but overall the product is, has been better uh, than I would have thought. I, you know, I definitely would have thought tournament team. I wouldn't have thought a number one seed, though. What is it? I mean, I, I know there's some obvious answers to this question, but in, in your mind, what is it that separates Alabama, this Alabama team, from others, and what is going to make them so, so dangerous come March in the tournament? So I think system and coaching is probably you know where I would start, and I think Nate Oates' record going back to high school where he had a number one ranked team in Michigan um, and won a state title and uh, went to Buffalo and very quickly turned that team into, I was there in Buffalo at the time, and they were big news because they were ranked at one point, I think even up to like 15th or 12th in the country. They, you know, they beat Arizona in the tournament. 
They won the uh, MAC tournament three out of the four years he was there. Like Nate Oates' track record from the very start has been great, and he brings that coach into Alabama. So that's one thing, and the system uh, that he brings, I think, is how you succeed in college basketball these days. And um, I think what's obviously different from last year is sort of the maturity, the chemistry, the buy-in from the roster that very clearly by the end of last year was not there. And I think from the beginning of this year has been clear that it is there. And, and so the intangible aspects of having a, a coach who knows what he's doing, having players that buy into the coach, and then just having talent, which they probably have more of as well, um, in those players like Miller and Clowney and Sears and just being deep, um, all those combination of factors is kind of what keeps them climbing up and up and up to now they're the best team in the country. And, um, you know, obviously those things could help them stay there as well. Um, you know, in the long term, when you talk about being able to bring in talent and having the coaching and having the system and all that's in place now. So there's no reason why it can't sustain over time. If you had to pick one area of improvement for this team, what would you say that would be? Defense. And, and that was a, a big problem with them last year. And, you know, it was partly because they weren't very deep. Um, Namari Burnett missed the year last year, which he would have been a great defender for him, but. Uh, they, they weren't very deep. They had some guards that were pretty small. Uh, Jaden Shackelford and, and Quinterly, you know, probably among them. Keon Ellis was a little bit undersized when he was playing the three. So they didn't have a whole lot of length to defend longer guards. And some of those guys just didn't buy into playing defense as much as they needed to. And now they have a team that organically seems to want to play defense. You know, most of the time there's been definitely some blips on that radar, but um there's players just with an intensity about them yeah, just sitting in that room listening to Noah Clowney for instance there's just a fire intensity to him that you can just sense um listening to him talk and he's a freshman and just kind of having that personality on your team I think helps other players as well when it comes to wanting to play hard and you know it obviously just kind of bleeds into each other where players see other players doing things on the court and they want to do the same things and the whole team kind of rises up because of that. But uh, going from where they were last year in, in defensive efficiency to now where they're top 10, top 16, I think, right now, uh, that's a pretty big jump, and that's a big reason why they are where they're at. Mike Rodak from AL.com is our guest here on Big Noon Sports. You can uh, listen to him now and also read him often on AL.com. I'm shifted to football. Uh, the two big hires for Nick Saban – and Kevin Steele and Tommy Reeves were made here recently. But down and underneath, uh, there were assistants sliding in different directions. Is, is Alabama's coaching staff complete now, or does Saban still have some no, more work to do? I know he's going to add some more uh, consultant slash analyst. Yeah, I would say the analyst part of it definitely, though, I mean, just in terms of how many they typically carry, I think they're probably two or three light right now. So. Um, that's one area certainly where they could hire more guys and, and maybe it will be because they, they tend to go one of two directions there. Either it's an experienced coach who's getting back on his feet. Like last year, they brought in Todd Grantham and Derek Dooley, or it's a much younger guy who might've been a GA, you know, a name probably we don't recognize. And those guys are kind of working their way up and it's always a mix of those. So I would expect maybe two more hires, you know, you know, the next month or two, you know, in that spot. But in terms of position coaches, I don't see any other changes. I think they're at the limit uh, right now. And, you know, the one 
blind spot, if you will. I don't know if that's the right word, but it is, is the safety position because they did have a safeties coach the last four years with Charles Kelly. Right now, they don't have a coach listed for that position. Travis Robinson still listed as cornerbacks coach. I would imagine that maybe he'll help out at that position, but it's probably going to be a combination of Kevin Steele and Nick Saban, which, you know, two guys who have been around for, for quite some time and I think know how to coach safeties. Um, but, you know, is there a loss when you don't have a dedicated position coach being in that room all day with those guys? Yeah, that, that probably is true. I think Charles Kelly is a very respected coach and, um, you know, probably had a, a big role in the development of Jordan Battle, DeMarco Ellums and Brian Branch. And now they're bringing in, because they, they lost all three of those guys, you have a five-star freshman and Caleb Downs. You have Malachi Moore maybe starting. You have some younger guys at safety that, they're going to have to find out, are these guys ready, and kind of get them coming along. And right now, it doesn't really seem like they have a dedicated uh, position coach for that room. Mike, I believe you left Buffalo right when um, Jalen Hurts was transferring to Oklahoma. So I'm not sure if there was any overlap there. But I, I know I, I would assume that you've, you've talked to Alabama players, Alabama coaches about Jalen. Just uh, what are your thoughts on, on his performance uh, in the Super Bowl and his growth overall as a quarterback? Yeah, you're right. I, I did come in right after he had left, but... Um, I, I remember watching him. You know, I remember watching Alabama games when I was in Buffalo and um, the SEC championship in 2018, and kind of what he did coming in for that game. And then, um, you know, watching him in the NFL. Even this was probably I don't watch a ton of Eagles games. Um, but this was probably the most I've watched of him this year was the Super Bowl, and he definitely seems like he's gotten much better as a player. Where he's just not that sort of guy who instinctively just wants to tuck the ball and run. And that was, I think, you know, obviously what kind of led to Nick Saban making the decision in the national championship game. They needed the guy to throw the ball. That's why they brought in Tua. But Jalen becoming that player who can throw the, in the deep ball early in the game to A.J. Brown, for instance, like that, I don't think we saw a ton of that at Alabama. Not that I can remember. So for him to kind of develop into that player that is able to make those throws, doesn't just automatically want to, see the open field and, and take off and run, but can do that when he's um, when he's kind of forced into it, that's good. And he seems like an NFL quarterback with, with some staying power. Um, so, I, if, honestly, if you had asked me that two, three, four years ago, I don't think that would have been my answer, that he would have been a, a starter in the Super Bowl and doing what he's doing and MVP candidate and all that. But, um you know, he seems like a guy that is, is kind of tough to count out from a, a maturity, a character standpoint, and uh, that goes a long way as well. Mike, real quick, back to the the coaching hires, which coordinator between Tommy Rees and Kevin Steele do you see having the biggest impact on the upcoming season? Uh, I would probably say Tommy Rees because I, I do think there's going to be and there's questions on both sides of the ball. I mean, they've lost a lot of starters in defense, but. I think what people are really going to want to see is this offense take a step forward from where it was last year with Bill O'Brien. And it's going to be an uphill battle for Tommy Reese to do that with a new quarterback and to do that with some new pieces on offense as well. So, uh, and it's, it's going to be an adjustment. I think we talked about it last week where I'm not entirely convinced that he's just going to rip up the Notre Dame system and bring it down to Tuscaloosa and try to run the same stuff. I think it's, it's still going to be what Alabama 
what their personnel best suits them to do, which is probably not going to be a lot of tight end stuff. You know, maybe it will be with one tight end. I don't think we're going to see two and three tight end sets like Notre Dame does. Um, and still trying to use those receivers that were underutilized or underperformed last year, depending on how you want to look at it, and, and turn it back into an offense that is capable of making explosive plays. Because I still think that's what Nick Saban wants to do. So that's it's a big task for Tommy Reese. And again, doing it with a, a new quarterback and an unproven quarterback is only going to make it that much harder. As always, thank you for your time. It's uh, it's well worth our investment. I hope it is worth yours. Again, tell everybody how they can follow you on social media. We know we can look you up and read you every day on AL.com. That's right. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rodak. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mike. Pretty simple. Thanks, Thank you. Right. Good right. stuff. Good stuff. Uh, as always, um, when we get back, I'm gonna, I want to return to what I talked about maybe 15 minutes ago, and, and that was Gronk and the FanDuel field goal attempt. There is controversy now surrounding that. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. If you need insurance, like a good neighbor, State Farm agent Derek Daniel is there with auto, homeowners, and life insurance throughout the Tuscaloosa area, including Northport, Cottondale, Brookwood, and... Showers arrive after midnight, the low 57. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm, the high 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back into Big Noon Sports. Before we get into Rob Gronkowski and his missed 25-yard field goal, I want to make a note that uh, Chiefs backup quarterback Chad Henney retired after the Super Bowl. In his 15-year NFL career, he he uh, made $40 million in career earnings and has the same number of Super Bowl rings as John Elway, Peyton Manning, Bart Starr, and Roger Staubach. Now, in the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, guess how many passes he's attempted? Eight years? Well, Check. they were probably all on that one drive. Um, <laughs> well, I'm not no, counting really. postseason. Okay. Uh, last eight I don't years. Know. $40 million he's made in the NFL. Uh, in the last eight years, um, 500. It's exactly, let's see, almost a million dollars per pass. <laughs> 41. 41 passes in the last eight years he's attempted. And uh, his career earnings are $40 million. But he did lead the Chiefs on that 98-yard touchdown drive in the divisional playoffs. And Mahomes has said, hey, I learned a lot from this guy. So maybe it's not what he does on the field, it's what exactly. he does off the field. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Christian, away from uh, what a backup, an NFL backup, uh, sorry, NFL backup quarterback does on the field, what is the role of the backup sort of during the week? And I know you aren't necessarily, you weren't necessarily in the quarterback room or anything, but just from your observation, how important 
is that role and what is it exactly? Well, it's it's exactly what it's called. It's a backup quarterback if, if he needs to come in the game if there's an injury. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, he, he's uh, basically preparing um, as if he, he's going to have to go out there at some point. Um, but at the same time, he's, um, you know, being almost like an assistant to the starter, right? Because you're anticipating the starter is going to be the guy. You're not necessarily uh, thinking you're going to go in, but you're knowing that there's a, a possibility um, due to you know injuries or any other circumstance that might come up, so you're preparing, but at the same time you're almost like an assistant. You know you're you're kind of offering insight and uh, just kind of being a supporter. Um, so that's that's pretty much what you see out of them. You know sometimes um, they're the the quarterback for the the defense, kind of giving them a look. Um, but but again, realistically that they're, they're you know going through the game plan as if you know they're going to have to go in there at some point. Uh, but at the same time they're they're kind of just ready to go ahead and just. Uh, you know, on the sideline, you see them, you know, they kind of have the earpiece in, um, they're communicating, they're almost like a borderline coach, so to speak, you know, they're charting plays, um, they're, they're kind of just involved in that role, but um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because, um, again, you're preparing as if you're going to play because you have to be prepared, but at the same time, you're not, you're kind of ready to just be almost like the assistant to the starter, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that just uh, it seems like the backup has to have a really good relationship with the starter. Yeah, almost extends uh, off the field, and yeah. and they have to have profound trust with one another. It's but almost Matt, like you a caddy. To talk like, about think about a caddy, almost like in golf. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a good. I think that's yeah. a very if, good analogy. If I had to come up with something to kind of give you an example, I would almost consider it like a caddy, um, because again, he might offer insight. He's watching the game with his earpiece. He's seeing things from the sideline that the starter might not not necessarily see, and vice versa. So he kind of can, you know, say, "Hey, they're running a lot of this. I keep seeing the safety creep down when we're running that jet motion. The safety, they're rocking and rolling the safety. Like, he might just offer things like that as well. So that, that, if I had to come up with something, Lars, I would say maybe like a caddy, almost. And Lars brought this up first, but and many have followed. One thing that must change before they kick off. In preseason, third quarterback dressed on the field. Yeah. I mean, would, would we all agree on that? Yes. Uh, what a dumb rule to begin because with. What happened in the NFC Championship with game the, was just embarrassing. The 49ers, yeah. um, quick note on um, Gronkowski, who, by the way, he's just fun to watch. He's just got, he's a fun guy. He calls himself the MVP of fun. Well, and, and you know what? From all I've read and seen on some videos, he is. But, you know, FanDuel had that 25-yard field goal attempt, and, the, and they promoted the heck out of it, did a nice job, and he was supposed to uh, attempt a 25-yard field goal, I guess, during halftime. I, I, I didn't even was, see any of it on it television. It was live during a commercial. Well, now they're saying it wasn't live. Did you see? Did you see it? I did. He missed it. Well, now they're saying maybe he didn't miss it. To me, in my replays I'm watching, he missed it. Now, it was close. But now uh, critics are claiming that it was so close that it looked pre-taped. And, you know, I think, I think FanDuel did it all. Now they're still getting publicity out of it. Yeah, and didn't FanDuel say that they're going to honor uh, what, what they had said, like that he is, uh, they're going to give away, what is it, $10 million in free bets? And you know what? 
That's like me giving you $10,000 worth of paper money. Because I know where eventually it's yeah. going to go. It aired during the third quarter. Okay. And, I mean, the easy thing to do is just kick it on the, at the stadium. But he probably would have slipped. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> just true. Like the, just like the Eagles kicker did on the kickoff. And Slipped fell and right on his butt. Yeah. Wow. But FanDuel has more than gotten their uh, money's worth out of this. Oh, yeah. And if I'm not trying to use you. If they gave me $10 million in, in uh, money here, FanDuel bucks. And, and over the course of time, I'd give it all back to them. There's the confidence, Matt. <laughs> all right. Back with the second. Hey. Uh, Brando coming up next hour right here on Big Noon Sports. shell is freshly fried daily two it has a melty cheesy blend inside and three it comes with seasoned beef or black beans welcome back to big noon sports with lars anderson matt coulter and christian miller welcome back in hour number two big noon sports Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, Matt Coulter had to attend to some affairs. So for the next hour, it's just Christian and I, mano a mano. Uh, just kidding, Christian. <laughs> uh, okay, I can't let this holding call go um, at the end of the Super Bowl. Now, do you call that – I, I love – I love how some people are saying, hey, you can't call that penalty at that time in the game. Well, it seems to me that that's sort of a false argument. Because if it's a penalty, it's a penalty uh, three minutes into the game. It's a penalty with 30 seconds left to go in the game. Would, would you agree with that, that, that when people are saying, hey, you got to consider the moment, the magnitude of the moment, if you're going to throw the flag or not? No, you, again, I mean, because then then you're just you're you can't do that. If you see a flag, you have to call it. Doesn't matter when it is, right? Like you're fixing the game if you're choosing, picking and choosing when to throw a flag. I just don't think that's fair. I don't think you can say, oh, even though we wanted to see it. Trust me, I wanted to see it end differently as well. I wanted Jalen to have a minute to drive down the field and see if he could tie it up or put some points on the board to maybe go to overtime or potentially take the lead. I would have loved that. Everybody in America would have loved that, Lars. But unfortunately, you can't you can't pick and choose. And I, I just don't think that's a fair system if a ref were to say, oh, well, yeah, this is a critical point in the game. It's a really pivotal moment. I can't throw this flag right here. I have to make, you know, even though I'm sure there's been times and instances where refs had those thoughts and, you know, chose to throw a flag or chose not to throw a flag. But I just feel like the fair thing is if they see the the penalty being committed, they call it, you know, fair and square, right? I mean, Bradbury admitted to the penalty. Uh, if you watch it, you see him clearly uh, grab with his right hand and tug the jersey on the initial whip route, and he also grabs for a second time. It wasn't as um, substantial, but with his left hand, 
he grabs again. Um, so the, the foul was committed, unfortunately, and they they called it. But you know, the, the refs get paid to do a job. And look, if, if he doesn't if he doesn't call that, then all we would have heard from the other side would would have been the same thing of how they didn't call that. It was a uh, they, it would have been a missed call from the other side, the other fan base. So I, I think in this instance, I mean, the the ref was going to catch heat regardless, in my opinion. Yeah, they're kind of in a no-win situation there. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask you about Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, okay, so the Colts, they just hired the offensive coordinator for Philadelphia. So really what they did is that they waited until after the Super Bowl to hire uh, Shane Stetson. And, um, and so... The, the the argument of Bienemy not getting a job because he uh, he's in the Super Bowl and therefore he can't do face to face interviews I, I think is nonsense. So I mean if if you just look at Eric Bienemy's uh, record as an offensive coordinator, uh, it, it's just head scratching as to why he is not a head coach. Um, it's believed to be that he's interviewed 12 times for head coaching vacancies over the past five years, and he has you know, not gotten it each time. Uh, he's helped the Chiefs as the offensive coordinator win two Super Bowls and, and been in a third uh, Super Bowl over the span of the last four years. They've won five straight AFC West championships uh, as, as Biennemi. He's helped oversee the development of Patrick Mahomes, um, and he now he is uh, he was in a he he's basically he signed a one year deal to return to Kansas City this year, so he's not under currently under contract, um, but his career just hasn't been advancing, and this is with the Rooney Rule. Uh, and, and, and you know what that is, Christian. It's, it's uh, you know, uh, owners have to interview uh, minority coaches, and it can't just be token interviews. I mean, I, I had a long conversation once with Todd Bowles, uh, who's the head coach of Tampa, and Todd just flat out said, hey, I, there have been several times when I, it was clear that I was just a token interview because when I went to the team's facility for the actual interview, the owner wasn't in the room, and the owner is the one who ultimately is deciding who is going to be the head coach. And right. If the owner's not in the room, you know that it, the, 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 the interview is just a sham. Right. Right. And, and so Andy Reid was asked yesterday, so what, what might be next for Biennemi? And uh, Reid hinted that uh, he needs to go somewhere else, and he said, you know, quote, to do his thing, where he can run the show and be Eric Bieniemy, and I think what Andy Reid meant meant by that was that Bieniemy needs to go somewhere as an offensive coordinator where he's actually calling the plays because right now that is uh, it's, it's Andy Reid calling the plays. So I, well, I just well, want to well, get your yeah, yeah, your yeah he might be calling okay. them, but I will say though I mean and I saw this and I don't know the accuracy of it, but. Uh, the whole brilliancy of, of the play design that I was re- referencing yesterday in terms of the fake jet motion, then basically a pre-snap whip route, which they scored twice on, um, which really kind of transcended them towards that win. Um, I read something I was saying, 
Eric Bieniemy was the one who noticed that tendency on film. They saw Jacksonville run a similar play. Uh, it's like the receiver was in a slightly different position. He was more in like X nasty position. And it almost kind of like he was going more like an orbit pre-snap. However, it's the same thing. And they picked up on the tendency, how the safeties, uh, you know, rock and roll with the motion. They kind of adjust, right? They anticipate the guys going all the way over and they basically overcompensate, right? Well, I read that it was Eric Bieniemy who noticed that tendency and is the one that came up with this play design. So, yeah, it might be Andy recalling these plays, but he's heavily involved in, in, in a large um, influence on that offense. So regardless of who's calling the plays, uh, he deserves all that credit. So to answer your question on why he's not really getting the nod uh, to be a head coach, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I do believe some of them might have been token interviews like you just alluded to. Um, but if he's done, you said he's done 12 interviews. Is that what you said, Lars? 12. He's in the, yeah, that's, he, it's, yeah. that's the report that I've seen. If, he's interviewed 12 times. Yeah, if it's 12 times, yeah, sure. Some of them, handful of prior token interviews. But I'm sure you know several of them are, are, are serious. They're not frivolous. But with that being said, I, I mean, I don't know what he's doing in these interviews. Is he is he turning them off by, you know, maybe – uh, something that he plans on doing when he gets there. Maybe that it, he doesn't necessarily have a great plan defensively. I mean, again, I'm just making up scenarios. I don't know. Um, but 12 of them, I just can't imagine 12 frivolous interviews that, that just are token interviews. So I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know what he's doing wrong in these interviews because clearly he's more than deserving and he's more than capable of being a good coach. I don't think he's been a head coach prior to this, but still. Uh, with all the, the guys that have uh, gotten chances uh, with no prior head coach of knowledge, I don't see why you wouldn't go after a guy who's um, heavily <laughs> influenced and, and uh, uh, helped win multiple Super Bowls and is a part of a new forming dynasty in the NFL. I don't know why people wouldn't take a gamble. I certainly would at this point. And and, and Josh just shot me a note, and, and, and I, I... – I stand corrected. The, the Washington Commanders are sort of flirting with him right now about uh, becoming their offensive coordinator. But then it raises the question, do you really want to leave Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey <laughs> to, to, to go to the Commanders, who I, I probably couldn't name more than three guys on their offensive, on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, you know, the quarterbacks, Tyler Heineke, Heineke may, may not be there next year. You could be looking at a rookie quarterback. Um, I mean, that, that to me, that seems like it could be a risky career move. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I have heard, you know, not, not from, uh, not for attribution, but I have heard from several different people that it's, he's just not good at interviews. And, and, and some, some people aren't. I mean, right. Then that's kind of what I was getting for, at. I'm not, you know, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, there's got to be, there's got to be something. If, if, if you're consistently interviewing and you haven't received one opportunity at this point, there's got to be something. And I'm not trying to take a shot at him because I don't know him personally and I don't know how he interviews. But to me, that that's just too much of a tendency to be turned down for for there not to be some underlying issue. Just the way he's interviewing or way, the way he's going about it. There has to be something, Lars, because there's no way a guy who has contributed to multiple Super Bowls at this point, um, doesn't get a shot. Now, I will say there are some coaches that just are better coordinators, actually a lot. There's some people that are just more fit to be coordinators than a head coach, right? And maybe that's him. And may, maybe this is just his role. I mean, he does a damn good job at it. So if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix yeah. it. I almost almost wonder if maybe he's better just staying, staying put, keep winning these Super Bowls, 
or at least have an opportunity to. And then if it comes up later on down the road, sure. But, you know, I, I, there's so many times that guys, um, you know, receive all these, you know, uh, this praise and they're like, they're the next great thing. Then they, they, they get their head coaching opportunity. Then they kind of flunk. Right. Uh, and then I guess, you know, yep. you never know until they, they get that opportunity. But like I said, some guys are just better off as coordinators. And, and maybe that's what these, you know, teams that are interviewing feel. Maybe he's just better fit as a coordinator, not necessarily a head coach. Yeah, uh, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, do you know, like, through uh, talking to other players in the league, is, is Biennemi well-liked? I mean, I would assume so, uh, at least among the Kansas City players, because he's been there long enough. He's had success. Clearly, if, if Mahomes didn't want him there, I'm guessing he wouldn't be there, right? Well, from from I don't know him personally, and I don't know too many people that have uh, spoken on him. Maybe we can get uh, Garrett Dieter back on here, and we can ask him about him. He'd probably have a lot yeah. of knowledge and experience with him. But um, it sounds like everybody in the Chiefs organization has high respect for Eric Bannemi and, and, and really respect him and appreciate his efforts and, and his contributions. But um, I haven't heard anything. Now, I know we got to go to break soon, but I just want to give a, a quick shout-out to my friends over at the Good Feet Store. Again, the New Year's in motion, but are you? Is pain keeping you from living your life you love? The Good Feet Store's art supports are designed to improve performance and alleviate and even eliminate your foot, knee, hip, or back pain, which, again, I experienced because I played football for a very long time, and I'm sure everybody out there has some type of pain that they need alleviated. So, again, head over to the Good Feet store. They're giving away a free pair of premium shoes with a qualified purchase. That's at $140 value. And, again, it's try before you buy. You're not going to miss out on anything, I'm telling you. The only thing you're going to miss out on is their superior customer service. Their, 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 their art supports are phenomenal. They help me tremendously. So, again, you get an opportunity to go over to the Good Feet store. They're located in Midtown in Tuscaloosa. Great people, great product. It's definitely helped my life. Go out there and let it help yours. Again, that's the Good Feet store located in Midtown Village in Tuscaloosa. We'll be back shortly with Tim Brando coming up. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Everybody loves Taco Casa. Everything we do in our store, we prepare in our store. You know, we hand cut all of our tomatoes. We block and shred our own cheese here in the store. So we showers arrive after midnight, the low 57. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm, the high 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 72 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back into Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson with Christian Miller. Matt Coulter is uh, taking the afternoon off. We're about ready to be joined with Tim Brando of Fox Sports. And uh, I'm telling you, Timmy, Timmy B has, has got some uh, things to get off his chest. And apparently, guys, Tim Brando is waiting for him, waiting to be called. So uh, give, give Tim a call. Um, and, uh, but, but there's, there's some, there's an interesting story developing in his part of the country in Louisiana, and I'm going to let Tim sort of, uh, set the table to explain it, but it really has to do with, uh, with, uh, the basketball arena at LSU, 
having the name changed from Dale Brown Court to adding Sue Gunter's name to it. And so uh, Timmy is a little up in arms about what is happening. And, um, and I, I told him that uh, we would allow him to sort of explain the issue and then, uh, and then really sort of give his analysis of it. Um, I first heard about this um, reading OutKick uh, and uh, a story by, by uh, Glenn Gilbo, who is a tremendous reporter. Uh, now works at OutKick.com, but but Glenn has been covering LSU uh, for a long time, and um, and and it's uh, <laughs> it's it's it, the intersection of politics and sports and corruption. You know, it's 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 par for the course for uh, <laughs> politics in uh, in Louisiana. But um, I think Tim is up. Is that correct? No, he's not. All right. Um, all right, Timmy. Timmy is up. All right, Tim Brando from Fox Sports joins us. And, and Tim, I, I just wanted to, um, I, I just told our listeners a little bit about the issue going on with LSU, Dale Brown Court, changing the name. And I told the listeners, I, I'd really let you sort of explain to us what's happening why it's a big deal, and, and, and honestly, why, why it's angered you so much. Well, it should be a big deal. <laughs> I mean, in the grand scheme of things, uh, the, the name on a floor uh, at a basketball arena should not be a big deal. But it was made a big deal because of the politics of the day and the politics of Louisiana historically being what it is, Lars. I mean, it's... Um, <laughs> uh, but, but we cannot separate the history going back all the way to the Great Depression and the Huey Long era of corruption within the state, starting with the governor's office through the uh, university itself, and now with uh, woke politics taking uh, an initiative, not just at LSU, but at other universities around the country, this is, uh, this is the downfall of it. We also have the weaponizing of Title IX taking place, uh, all of that at one time. Um, the issue is not uh, the women's basketball coach, Sue Gunter, uh, who's been gone for almost 20 years. And by the way, her memory has been weaponized as well uh, in all of this. It's just a travesty. It's one of the most egregious things I've ever seen a university do. 13 months after Dale Brown was celebrated and the Board of Supervisors boarded, uh, voted by a, a count of 12 to 3 to name the floor after him, for what was an amazing 25-year career, he had never been honored by the school in any way, shape, fashion, or form. No statue. Sue Gunner has a statue. Has had that statue inside the arena for a long time. Uh, and just for you know, for those that want to go there, it's not about um, it's not about Sue versus Dale. Okay, but if you want to compare their records, the bottom line is uh, his career was better. He went to two Final Fours. She never went to one. Pokey Chapman went to the Final Fours after uh, Sue was gone, but she laid the foundation, certainly. But this is not about that. This is about taking something away that was given and given and bestowed upon him uh, by the university, by its Board of Supervisors, by a vote of 12 to 3. And then 13 months later, uh, the president of the university 
coerces the first black player ever at LSU, uh, College Temple, who was, was fervently behind Dale Brownsport and fought hard along with about a half dozen others of us to get it through. He facilitated a luncheon between the president of the university and Dale at a public restaurant, T.J. Ribs, with the express content and consent of that president with Collis to ask Coach Brown to allow for the change of the name of Dale Brown Court to Brown Gunter Court or Gunter Brown Court. So it was an ambush, and they did it to him on his 87th birthday. <laughs> I mean, it was... Uh, I advise anyone that's listening to me now to uh, go to outkick.com, read the story of Glenn Gilbo, a longtime columnist in Baton Rouge. He had it all. And a Pulitzer Prize winning author, Jeffrey Marks, uncovered all, all of what happened behind the scenes to bring us to this point. You have a progressive president that wants to make a statement about equity. You have a one, one board member that uh, is, a, is a woman named Mary Warner, who is the daughter of a former politician who ran for governor several times, never won, Buddy Leach of Leesville. He is a mega-billionaire, uh, or was. He passed away a couple of years ago. She inherited all of his money, and she went to the governor after this vote went down, 12 to 3, even after she had um, uh, proposed a motion to go with Gunter Brown Court uh, as we said, uh, you know, more than a year before that, on September the 10th in 2021, when the actual vote took place, uh, and it was voted down 12 to 3, which is the very number that it was voted in for Dale Brown Court. She took it to the governor with the understanding that Buddy Leach was Governor John Bell Edwards' hero, and that Governor Bell Edwards' number one campaign uh, financier was Buddy Leach. Well, she's got all that money now, and she basically took it to him and said, "We can't. We we just we can't have this. We cannot have an 87-year-old white man's name on the court." Here we are, just a year removed from the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So, the governor <laughs> called five board members, including Collis Temple and several others, and says, "Fellas, here's what we're going to do. We're going to change this, and we're going to have this on the agenda on February the 10th, and you are going to change your vote." Remember. The governor appoints all those on the board of supervisors. They do in most states, and they do in Louisiana as well. So they railroaded this thing through and did so with, a, with rules that they just made up on their own as they went along, saying, well, we'll just have the academic committee vote on this because so many of people on the board did not want to change their votes in public because they knew how unpopular it would be. But they did it. And um, to do it to him and the way they did it, is uh, it's a it's a game changer to me. It's it's something that's got to be fought, uh, and we got to bring these people out of the shadows where they have these covert activities, and uh, and then lie about it publicly. Uh, the governor stated, "Oh, well, we have uh, we had a few." His his version of the story was, "A few board members came to me with this idea. I took a look at it. Sounded good to me." No, no, he actually called specifically a half dozen of those board members and said, this is what we're going to do. And it was a political favor to Werner, who he owes, I presume, his political future to, to once he's out of the governor's office, which, by the way, on term limits, he will be out within, uh, well, a little over a year from now. He'll be gone. And so will that board. 
uh, and the president is likely to be uh, just building his resume to go to an Ivy League school somewhere. He won't he won't last long. They never do. So the only person embarrassed here is Dale, and for what? He didn't do anything. Nobody. He, he didn't ask to have his name put up there. He didn't. Uh, there were a lot of people, uh, me included, that fought for this for about 10 years. And in the last five years, I spoke before that board three separate times. And um, we had gotten it done, and then they took it away in a very public manner, and it's disgusting, despicable, and um, and something that I will not stop talking about until it has changed. Is there, I think it will is, is there a, Tim, would you say that there's a, a different way that Sue Gunter could be honored? She already has been. They already have a statue there. <clears throat> There's a statue inside the Maravich Assembly Center. There's no statue of Dale. Okay? I mean, but, yes, they. Uh, to answer your question, could you double down and give her another honor? Yeah, it was proposed. It was actually proposed that uh, they have a, a floor for the women's games that says Sue Gunner Court and a uh, floor on the, for the men's games that says Dale Brown Court. I mean, he was amenable to that. I think all of us were. Not good enough. These people, okay, these activists that are weaponizing Title IX and, you know, stretching the Me Too movement beyond comprehension. Lars, I don't need to tell you, and I don't think I need to tell anyone in Alabama, uh, how progressive Dale was when he was coaching in the 70s and 80s, both helping minorities, helping women. He helped Sue Gunner fund scholarships for her women's program in the 80s because you know, college basketball for women really didn't come into play at the NCAA level until 1982. Dale helped all of those uh, that were oppressed. He was the first white member <laughs> and remains the only lifetime white member of the NAACP. To go after him as though he were some, uh, you know, Civil War hero, therefore you got to take his name off something, or it can't be there by itself, is ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. And this woman, Mary Warner, basically said, I just don't believe we should be at this stage of uh, of, uh, of our country. We should not be naming anything after an 87-year-old man alone. It needs to be with a, a, a woman. And, and by the way, nobody in the country, I mean, can you imagine? She's been gone for almost 20 years. It's blasphemous what they've done. And, um, and it's, hurt, it's hurt Coach Brown. It's hurt him deeply. His health is not the best. He's had uh, a history of some heart issues. He's 87 years old, and he didn't, like I said, he didn't ask for this. We did. A lot of other people from my home state that wanted him to be honored while he was still alive because uh, he was LSU basketball for a quarter century, and for 15 of those 25 years, his program was uh, <laughs> on the precipice of, of, of NCAA titles. No, he didn't get one. That's the other thing. I had to explain to these these fools that there are coaches names on floors around the country that never won a national title hell gene katie never even went to a final four and the name on the floor at a mackey arena is gene katie court uh this this notion that you have to win national championships to have your name put on the floor is, is just i don't know how stupid people can be um it's just a basic lack of respect for basketball a lack of respect for Coach Brown, and it is wokeism at its worst in today's political climate. Yeah, um, you know, I'm a political junkie, and uh, I always have one eye on on the state of Louisiana because <laughs> just when you think you've seen it all, uh, yeah. you know, something you know. even more crazy happens in, in Louisiana. 
Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> can, let's um, just, if you don't mind, just shift to the national landscape of college basketball. Since you you, right. you travel the country calling games, Alabama now is at number one after Purdue uh, lost last week. Um, just give us your thoughts on on really who are the most viable contenders to win a national win the national championship right now. Well, I've told you a few times I think that about twenty or so, twenty five to thirty teams could make the final four. Of those twenty five to thirty, I think about ten can win it all. Alabama is one of those teams. Um, I, I think that they are an incredibly talented team. And by the way, historically, Alabama's always gotten great athletes and has always been in a position to, to, to vie for this. You know, they just have not sustained their success uh, quite as long. But um, look, Purdue losing to Northwestern, I had just seen them beat Ohio State at Ohio State. That's the climate that we have in the college game right now. Yeah, uh, it, it just seems like uh, there's more parity this year than uh, there in, is. most. There is. Uh, uh, Timmy, can, also... can you hang on? Yeah, yeah, yeah I can. Can you no hang problem. on through the? Okay, awesome. All right, we're going to be right back. This is Big Noon Sports. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Susan, I'm sorry I'm late. Traffic is terrible. It sure is. But on top of that, gas prices have been skyrocketing. I can't believe how expensive gas is. Welcome back into Big Noon Sports. Joining us is the one, the only, the legend, Tim Brando. Timmy, is there a under-the-radar college basketball team that you think could uh, do some damage in March, uh, a team that not enough people are talking about right now? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really good question. But before I go there, Lars, can you give me one second to go back to something real quick on the, the Dale Brown? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Issue. Yep, take your time. Okay. One of the things that's... Uh, <laughs> It is a part of this, and if you read the column by uh, Glenn Gilbo, you'll see it. Another thing that's going on here politically is LSU's football program and the institution itself is under a federal investigation for Title IX. Title IX federal investigation because of acts that took place during the Les Miles era. Okay, there are people within the LSU administration <clears throat> that were named in that. Uh, filing of that lawsuit uh, that was brought that precipitated the investigation federally of LSU that are still on staff there. And these people really believe that by putting a woman's name next to Dale is actually going to make them look really good now in terms of Title IX. So that's something else to think about. One other quick item. If you haven't watched on the SEC Network the documentary done by Fritz Mitchell, uh, it's outstanding. And Alabama's History is being featured on it, too. Last night was really good with Wendell Hudson, uh, the Leon Douglas era, the, um, the, the, the the 76th game in the regionals against Indiana. When they, they came closer to beating the Hoosiers than anybody else. And, of course, Dale was in it, too, in Episode 3. And they'll have another one debuting uh, Episode 4 next week. Um and it is on uh, the, uh, the SEC network, and it's usually on like after the women's basketball games on 
on Monday night. So I highly recommend uh, fans of basketball in general, but specifically at Alabama as well as uh, at LSU. If you want to refresh your course on uh, the history of the SEC, then you need to do it. And that's the other thing, too, Lars. The modern-day fan, you know, these Gen Xers and Zers, they they don't think that anything that happened before they were born means a, a thing. Okay? <laughs> I mean, they think history is just, yep. it means zero. And um, I'm sorry, okay, but it does. Uh, as the great Beano Cook told me many years ago, okay, just because, just because it happened before you were born doesn't make it any less significant, okay? Uh, and And that's more of a problem, I think, in our state than it is in yours because of the greatness of Coach Bryant years ago and, and the greatness of C.M. Newton and later Wilt Sanderson at Alabama. I think the appreciation for sports history in Alabama is much greater than mine. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, people, have, people have oftentimes said to me, Tim, uh, you know, well, well, you're an LSU guy. No, I'm not. I've never been a single – I'm from Louisiana. And a lot of my success came from the time – that I spent in Baton Rouge, connected to Dale, and getting opportunities to call ball games while I was at LSU that helped propel me to network television. But I'm nobody's houseboy, okay? Uh, I'm not some glad-handing, uh, you know, LSU whoopee cushion, bingo Barney out there spouting all about LSU. I never, I never have been. I never will be. And if I'm going to be critical of any other schools, I damn sure I'm going to be critical of the ones in my home state as well. You know, let's just stay with this for. <laughs> I find this fascinating, and 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 look, um, the the reporter you're referencing, Glenn Gilbo, he is terrific. He is terrific. Yeah. He's one of the best reporters in the country, and uh, you know when he uh, thoroughly re- does a thoroughly reported piece, you need to pay attention. But what I don't understand is um, uh, uh, Gunter passed away in 2005. I mean, this is yeah. you're talking eight, eighteen years ago, yeah. Yeah. and and uh, she never took LSU to a Final Four. She never won an SEC regular season title. Um, I know her last team, which finished under assistant coach Pokey Chapman, uh, they did reach the Final Four and went twenty-seven and eight. So, but I, I just don't. I guess I don't understand why all of a sudden this is becoming so. Uh, I- imperative, and, and, and action well, has to happen right now, right now, right now. Yeah, well, why, um, why was the governor? It, it, why it, was it, the it's governor? just, it's heads, yeah, why, yeah. why is, I mean, just give us your analysis of why why it's happening right now, because it makes well, no sense from afar. You have the perfect, because you have all the elements of what's politically screwed up our country, special interest, okay? Um, you have the Me Too movement. Uh, at work within this. Ms. Werner uh, wants to eventually run for office. She's run for office several times and lost, just like her, her, her deceased father has. But she's got all this money, and with that money comes influence. And the influence she had over the governor got this done. What's he going to do with the rest of his career once he's, he's out as governor? He's a two-term elected as a blue dog Democrat. He will not be, <laughs> uh, There will not be a Democrat winning next. This is still a red state. It's a Republican state. And that board will be gone, and he will be gone. But he may need help setting up a private practice, and she's going to finance it. Okay, I really don't know. I don't care. But uh, John Bell Edwards has uh, made a laughing stock of himself by doing this. 
his political future, in my in my estimation, is done. Uh, he, he'll never win against anyone running for Senate that's a Republican. But that's what's part of it. The other part of it is a progressive president who, by the way, you can see pictured on Dale Brown's celebration night in uh, any one of the videos or anything that you see on my timeline on Twitter, uh, you know, embracing Coach Brown in the piece that with, with Butch uh, that uh, uh, that Glenn Gilbo did. You see him with his arm around me celebrating his, uh, you know, Dale's big night at a dinner the night before. And so it got to him. He saw this as an opportunity to uh, to uh, take LSU in a more progressive place with the understanding, okay, with the weaponizing of Title IX, that their school is under a Title IX investigation uh, by the uh, federal government. Tim, Tim, did you know Coach Gunter? Yes, very well. And she, she was, you know. What, how do you think she... Okay, yeah, I was just curious. If she were alive today, how do you think she would be reacting to all of this? She, she would be disgusted. And some of her players have said as such. Okay? Uh, no one's come forward from her family to say thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just it's bizarre. It's just absolutely bizarre. And uh, only in Louisiana. Only in Louisiana. Let me, ask, <laughs> let me answer your first question about basketball. Uh, Providence College lost last week in a game I had against St. John's. That's the team to keep your eye on, okay? Nobody's talking about what Northwestern's doing in the Big Ten. And last week they won at Ohio State, who was struggling, and then beat the number one team in the country over the weekend, Purdue. Chris Collins has taken that team and that program to its second uh, ever, its second ever NCAA tournament. So those are a couple of teams. And, um, Certainly, Gonzaga is looked down upon this year, but they might catch fire late. Uh, UCLA is one of the teams I think can make it all the way to the Final Four as well. Tim, thank you, as always, so much for your time. Uh, I, I love deep dives into uh, <laughs> it's almost politics as sport, especially in yeah. the state of Louisiana, yeah. where, again, it's uh, it, for for those of you who aren't into politics, uh, I, I understand. But if you are into politics, like I am, always keep an eye on your Louisiana because you'll see something <laughs> that you've never seen before quite frequently. All right, we'll be right back on Big News Sports. Thank you so much, Tim. You got it, Lars. This is the Big News Sports Network. If you need insurance, like a good neighbor, State Farm agent Derek Daniel is there with auto, homeowners, and life insurance throughout the Tuscaloosa area, including Northport, Cottondale, Brookwood, and... Showers arrive after midnight, below 57. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm, the high 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 72 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back into Big News Sports. Christian, I think we can safely say that um, we will never talk about Louisiana politics at that length ever again. Um, so, um, some, some breaking news. Arizona Cardinals, they're the last team that had a head coaching vacancy, and they just filled it with uh, Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon. So this means that Philadelphia now has lost both their offensive coordinator, who just became the head coach of the Colts, 
and now their defensive coordinator, who just became the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. All right, Christian, one, how big a hit is that to lose both your coordinators? And uh, historically, we, we can kind of break it down because it's uh, the last time this happened was after the 2016 season when Atlanta lost uh, Kyle Shanahan as their offensive coordinator. Uh, he became the head coach of the 49ers. He's had great success. And Richard Smith, who was the defense coordinator, he got fired because uh, Atlanta blew a 28-3 lead in that game and ended up losing 34-28 in overtime to the Patriots. So, one, how big a deal is it? And two, I'm surprised that Arizona decided to hire an offensive, or excuse me, I'm surprised that Arizona decided decided to hire a defensive um, a defensive guy because to me the future of that franchise is all about one player and that's Kyler Murray. Are you, are you so those two questions to you, Christian? Yeah, I think it's a substantial hit anytime you lose any coordinator, but you know losing two of them, having to replace two of them, is no easy feat. It's a very difficult task. Um, you have to look elsewhere to bring a guy in. We just heard Coach Saban talking about how difficult it is finding guys. It's a lengthy process. Usually you got to find the right fit. Guys who know how to work with your personnel can bring in new ideas, can be innovative, and, th- and that are proven, right? You know, a lot of a lot of good names are already taken right now. So uh, it's, it's a big blow uh, to the Eagles. But am I surprised that they hired a defensive coordinator? Uh, not necessarily because I feel like they've struggled on defense, right? I think they've they've really struggled on defense for a while now in Arizona. And, um, you know, you look at Jonathan Gannon, you know, his first season uh, being the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he, he got them into a top 10 defense, uh, followed by a second season, which was this past season. They're ranked number two uh, in, in terms of total defense. So, um, I, I think, you know, it makes sense. Uh, I know they have Kyler Murray and, and whatnot, but th- that's why he's going to go out and find himself a good offensive coordinator that can work well with Kyler Murray and, and, and bring on uh, some guys on board and, and get some some weapons for him, you know, help, you know, bolster that offensive line to protect Kyler Murray. Um, you, you hire people for that reason. Um, but obviously they saw a lot in him that they liked. They felt that he's worthy uh, to be a leader. I think that's the biggest thing for a head coach, right? I mean, you have to know the X's and O's. You have to be innovative. You have to be um, very smart, but you have to be a great leader. You have to know how to lead the organization, lead the team, know how to make the right decisions. I know you have general managers and player development and all type of personnel um, proponents in the front office, but head coaches uh, have a lot of responsibilities and you have to be qualified and you have to be um, you know, able to, 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 to do that. You know, you're not just calling plays on defense and coming up with schemes to defend offense anymore. Now you're overseeing a lot uh, more things. So uh, I think they felt confident with them. And uh, look, I think it just goes to show you uh, so much comes with winning, right? I know they didn't win the Super Bowl, but they, they had a tremendous season. They made it to the Super Bowl. That's typically what happens. We see it with the, the Georgias, the Alabamas, you know, teams that have success, they have guys go on and earn promotions and other opportunities. We just saw Todd Munkin um, hired by the Baltimore Ravens, a phenomenal hire um, on the Ravens' behalf. They're getting a guy who has showed consistently his ability to out-scheme opponents. Um, you know, he just he's coming off of back-to-back national championships with Georgia. I think that was a phenomenal hire. You know, now he's going to have a guy like Lamar Jackson. I think the biggest thing, and this is something me and my dad talked about on our podcast last night, the Miller's Edge, you can find it on YouTube, is that, you know, you look at Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. 
They went out and got him weapons. They drafted Devontae Smith. They wouldn't trade it for AJ Brown. They have a stellar defense that can really, you know, help, um, you know, help him out. You know, keep points off the board, allow him to get the ball back. Right? You look at Baltimore. I mean, they invest in the defense to help Lamar out, but look at the they don't they don't help him out in any other way. Right? They don't they don't get him any weapons. No. They don't they don't do it. They just they he has the team on his back, and they they just expect so much of him. And not only that, they refuse to pay the guy what he deserves. And you look at it again. Go back to Jalen. They're they're eager to give him a con- give him a contract extension. Now I know he just just played in the Super Bowl. Lamar hasn't been to one, but Lamar has been an MVP, done so many great things. So I say all that to say, you know, I'm glad Lamar is getting a, a coach like Todd Monk, and I think he's going to do ph- phenomenal things with Lamar Jackson. I just hope they have they finally go and get him some true weapons, maybe a Odell Beckham Jr. or whatnot. Uh, but I'm excited to see how that plays out, and I'll, I'll be watching the the Cardinals as well because uh, Jonathan Gannon that's an interesting hire, and we'll see what he can do in Arizona. Yeah, and it should be noted, Kyler Murray tore his ACL and MCL uh, in right. uh, December, and he's going to miss the majority of this upcoming season unless he just has some phenomenal it's rehab. Tough blow, man. But uh, yeah, um, and, and you know, I, I, I'd love tomorrow, Christian, when we have more time to talk about Lamar Jackson, and does he take a deal? that um, is doesn't have the guaranteed money of Deshaun Watson. I mean, I think GMs all across the league are really upset with Cleveland giving Watson oh, they, 230 they the market. They, guaranteed. They messed the whole yeah, market and, and so, up. <laughs> like, and and it, it, they did. They did. And so does, does Lamar Jackson, because he doesn't have an agent, he's really in a better position because look agents have to make nice with the GMs because they have other guys that they represent right That's and right. so Lamar Jackson could be the one guy to say hey uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to take anything less than, than uh, what uh, Deshaun Watson got and uh, also Joe Burrow will be in that conversation <laughs> as course. well as uh, well as well add Jalen Hurts All right, thanks for listening. We will talk to you in 22 hours. This is Big Noon Sports. Like a good neighbor, State Farm agent Derek Daniel is there with auto, homeowners, and life insurance throughout the Tuscaloosa area, including Northport, Cottondale, Brookwood, and Vance.